This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. In her hometown of Toronto, a place with no shortage of game-changing R&B talents, Charlotte Day Wilson has been a singular creative force. A singer-songwriter who records and produces her own work with a tenacious yet flexible vision, Day Wilson's solo career exploded in 2016 behind her moody debut EP, CDW, and its centerpiece single, Work, a plaintive, gospel-tinged ballad that became an unofficial anthem of the Women's March. The Stone Woman EP followed in 2018, and saw Day Wilson take stock of herself, her relationships, and her place in the world with both range and unimpeachable traditional soul vocals. Wilson's debut album, Alpha, released last week, is her most varied statement to date. Like Stone Woman, Alpha is inspired by a breakup, but the project reveals more about Day Wilson, as both a person and a songwriter, than ever before, featuring collaborations with Daniel Caesar, Bad Bad Not Good, and Sid of the Internet, Alpha is not so much an announcement of a prodigious new talent as it is a confirmation of one. Days after Alpha's release, The Fader's Jordan Darville spoke with Day Wilson about learning new skills, navigating the music industry on her own terms, and two very key, very different influences. Charlotte Day Wilson, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Fader interview. Thank you for having me. I caught your uh, Instagram stories. I think it was last week. I saw that you were in LA. Was it was it nice to finally get out of Toronto? Yeah, so nice. We wanted to like do some album like celebration things that we just couldn't do in Toronto because of social distancing restrictions. So it was just nice to like get out there and actually be able to go out for dinners and little parties and stuff like that. And what was it like celebrating this very intimate and personal album with people you care about around you after you know nearly two years of lockdown a little bit surreal but also at the same time like it's nice because you know obviously the music is intimate and personal but also my team is quite intimate and personal too and it's it's nice to be able to just like be with them and celebrate the release and we've all been working so hard on it so it was just like it's nice to be with them and then sharing it with like a kind of a broader network of people was a relief you never really know like how it's gonna go or whether people are gonna like it so like being able to watch people react to the music in person and in real time like was really nice when you started to write the album why was it the the right time to begin your debut full-length project i think you know having put out two eps that like i felt like really strong and connected to it just felt like the the right next step to like try and tackle the the full-length album um you know it's kind of a rite of passage and one that I was excited to finally actually take on the challenge of yeah I love that phrase rite of passage in this era it's 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 almost like a forgotten rite of passage really for a lot of artists that perhaps think it's a an, an outmoded form of releasing a work 
but you of course still find yourself resonating with that mode of of, of creating music and, and giving it to the world yeah i mean i think it's it's an important way to establish your artistry and to like be able to um tell a bit of a longer and more comprehensive story than just singles and eps and while i also love singles and eps i love putting them out and i also love listening to them you know i love the playlist era like i'm into it i'm not i'm not against it but i'm also you know just like as an artist with something to say like it feels important to be able to deliver that with one kind of full body of work and um especially like after the fact you know now that that's out like i've been wanting for a long time to be a little bit more loose with like releasing music that might be a little bit more experimental or a little bit more trying different things and like being less precious about how much music i put out because i think i really wanted to establish like the core of like what people should know about me and know about my sound and know about me as a producer and a singer and a songwriter. But now kind of like I'm, I'm ready to also like just get into like a loose era of just like letting things go without holding onto them for so long. That's so funny because I actually have that word loose written down in my notes here. Um, when it came to the sound of, of the album, it sounded like you had just like, a bit more loose playfulness in, in terms of how you are approaching your influences and creating the music, which I found really special. Totally. I think like a big part of that was, you know, I do take it really seriously. And I, I think in the past I've done the thing where I edit lyrics a lot. And with this project, I basically was like, I'm not going to edit lyrics. Like I'm going to write the lyrics in the moment when they're written and leave them as they are. And that was an important thing for me. But then also production wise, I kind of was like ready to not feel like it had things had to follow like formulas, letting things feel like more of an honest, intimate moment as it is for me, because it's like in my moment, my creation, my creative space is like in my house. And I kind of wanted it to feel like people could hear that a little bit, that it's like I'm not recording these things in like big, expensive studios, like all of this is kind of being done like in my own safe creative space and like to make it sound otherwise would be untrue so talk to me about the actual writing and recording of it like you you mentioned your your parents place um and i know you know when we last spoke about stone woman that was a, a very important spot for creating that ep is there some kind of 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 magic or perhaps just like a sense of safety that comes with creating music in your parents uh living space yeah, Stone Woman was all done in their basement. And then even though I didn't live there, I just like that. I chose that as like my space. It was mainly because like they would be gone from work in the daytime. And I knew that I could go over there and like have an empty space to work out of when I still was living with roommates and stuff like that. And with this one, I I did a lot of the work at my cottage, which is like a cottage that's been in my family for 60 years. So it's like old and falling apart and there's no service and it is somewhere that I'm like truly it truly connects me to like my roots and my past and my childhood and like not only my childhood but like all my whole family's everyone's childhoods like my mom's childhood my cousin's childhoods and there's something really familiar and safe about that space but then like you know the main draw that I have towards creating there is that you know no service no connection to like 
Wi-Fi or texting or anything like that. Um, so I'm not connected to social media, but then also just being able to make as much noise as I want, like just being able to like blast the music and also to like scream, sing, and to be able to make as many weird noises as I want, because I think like creating in a city, like I think a lot of people find this, it's like, you know, I live in Toronto in like a dense area. It's like, I'm always a little bit aware of like the fact that someone can always hear me and there's just something, you know, really special about going somewhere where, you know, no one can hear you at all. You're completely alone. How much of the album would you say was tinkered with in the city compared to the work that was done in the cottage? Most of the creative work, like the writing was done at the cottage. And then all the tinkering is done in my basement studio at my house in Toronto. Because mainly just because the room sounds better down here and I've treated it in a way and I know the way that it sounds and, and I have all of my gear here whereas like I only have a few like essential items that I bring up to the cottage when I'm working there but like yeah my studio in my basement here has like just it's my workflow is quick here so from the perspective of trying to like polish things or explore different production ideas like I can hear things just way better in this space so yeah and was the album completed before the pandemic like the majority of it was completed and the songs themselves were pretty much all written maybe except for a few like verses of things or something like that but most of it was written and then over the course of the pandemic I kind of like allowed myself to open all of the songs back up and like kind of add some more I just I just had more time with it and I'm so grateful that I had more time with it because just little things like you know maybe I had the song already and the production was actually like it was enough and maybe it was finished to some standards but you know maybe there wasn't the right transition into the next song or maybe there wasn't like you know, a finishing thought lyrically that like I hadn't thought about without kind of having some time and perspective to think about what was the song really about and what was the album about. And then like maybe there was certain things that I could tag on to the end of the song that would help kind of summarize the overall thoughts and feelings, I guess, um, both like lyrically and production wise. So are there any songs on the album that the writing process really sticks out to you? I mean, they all do for me. Like they're all so personal and are all kind of cemented in a place and time for me in what was going on in my life. So like they all kind of like they're categorized in my mind through like what was happening in my life. And I, and, and I actually am super grateful to have something like that, that can like serve as like chapters, like clear markings of where I was at and what was going on. I'm trying to think if there was one in particular. I mean, Changes is one that, like, I think I made, like, 15 different versions of that song. And I also probably made 15 different versions of I Can Only Whisper. Those definitely stick out. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the music video for If I Could, um, which I just thought was a, just a very wonderful and impressionistic interpretation of the song. 
talk to me about how those visuals came to life and, and, and your role in their production. Yeah, so I worked with a director, Kevin Funk. You know, I had actually four songs that I wanted to do music videos for, and I wanted to do like kind of a short film. And we we ended up shooting for videos worth of, of, of videos and like someone else was editing the stuff. You know, we had spent a long time kind of talking about what the album meant to me and what some of the themes were that I wanted to explore visually and what the representation was that I wanted to see. And, you know, kind of tying together these like deeply personal aspects, but also like making sure that I like see my community or just people that I, I think would be like visually important to see. And when we kind of started getting into filming everything, there was a bit of an approach of like shoot everything and then figure it out later which is like, you know, for me, I'm new to being part of the directing of a video. And like, I I actually don't think I'll ever do it again that way. (laughs) Just because it was so much footage to deal with after the fact. And anyway, so we had these four videos, and someone else had edited them. And, you know, I was going back and forth with the editor, like, in depth for you know weeks and at a certain point I was just like I actually just feel bad for this editor because like I'm probably a nightmare to work with because I'm so particular about where I want certain things to go and I just got to a point where I was like I do think that if I could actually have this project file and learn how to edit and edit it myself I will get the result that I'm looking for and yeah I taught myself over the course of the pandemic just like how to edit video and through the process of learning how to edit the video like I realized that I could edit video and audio in tandem in this really amazing and like super interesting way that like really tickled my fancy and I got really into it where I was like okay well as the the kind of video started to take shape where I would see like the edit is starting to go I would just also bring the music in the same direction and um, I think a lot of the time like that is you know obviously what people do when they're scoring a visual but usually you'll have to send it to someone and explain yourself and explain what you need and show them. And for me, it was just easy because I would just literally switch between the softwares and go back and forth and be like, okay, here. And then like export the new audio file in and bring it back in. And so that was kind of like a pretty like interdisciplinary and like fun way of like intersecting the two mediums for me. Um, And again, grateful for the time during the pandemic to be able to like pick up a new skill like that and, um, not have necessarily like big pressures of deadlines. Like I was allowed to take my time with that. So it was nice. Before you had started teaching yourself how to edit, did you have a vision of what you wanted the end music video to to look like? Or was that something that came after? After like scrubbing through all of the footage and seeing like, you know, we had like hours and hours and hours of footage. Like after going through all of it, I was able to see which parts I thought were the most important and the most visually like stunning that combined with like my own the meanings that I I had certain things that I wanted to say about like my own personal journey I guess like after I had looked through all of the footage I was like okay I think I know where this needs to go but definitely a lot of it exposed itself during the process as well. And how did that process compare to your songwriting process? Yeah, definitely very similar. When I'm writing songs, I'll usually have an idea of how I want to start the song or like I know what instrument I want to start it on or and I know like there might be one or two lyrics that are like milling around in my brain that I think would be a good starting point. And it's usually based on like what else I'm 
what other art I'm consuming at the time that I'm kind of like, I kind of want to touch on that thing that I thought was really cool or like that idea or that like one note that I heard in the grocery store that sounded like this weird synth that it wasn't actually, but now I want to recreate the sound that I thought was something else. Like I'll have some intention, but yeah, for the most part, I just let the songs kind of like reveal themselves to me and it might be like, it might sound unglamorous, but it's like a big part of it is singing in gibberish (laughs) and then seeing what the words are trying to be. And then once I hear some words that sound interesting that will spark like a story in my mind or that will spark like okay here's the ripple effect of that one word that like I think is like sounds phonetically good and I'll kind of go from there sometimes the gibberish phonetic thing is like such an amazing tool to write lyrics that like are more geared towards like yeah like the sonics or the shapes of a word or the shapes of the vowels that you are like gravitating towards that sound good on the music that you're singing with and like sometimes a cool story will evolve but like it can also definitely go the other way where you're like this doesn't make any sense like this is still gibberish even though there's words attached to it (laughs) something that i i really liked about your lyrics on this album certain lyrics had like a, a mythic quality to them almost i think it's um adam's complex it almost sounds like you're channeling some sort of like ancient myth in these adjectives that you choose Yeah, I think I used a lot of like biblical and like religious imagery to kind of serve as like almost like institutional references that like everyone will get and that I will be subsequently trying to subvert. So when it comes to like Adam Complex, the working title for that song was Inferiority Complex. And it's about like me having this like inferiority complex, you know, dating bisexual women or pansexual women and worrying that I might be left for a man or that I might be like whatever so you know Adam was just kind of the the reference that made the most sense and I thought you know that was a way to like be a little bit derivative without spelling things out completely on the nose because inferiority complex just didn't sound very good and seemed a, a little too on the nose. Something that struck me in that song too were the lines in the outro when you sing, uh, but while I'm here, I lay in stone, still wrapped in fear. And of course, stone, the word stone brought me back to, to stone woman. And, you know, how when we spoke three years ago, you know, you said that you wrote that EP in part to work through what you called your stoic tendencies. And, you know, so for the last lines on this project to sort of call back to that made me wonder if making this project revealed anything new about what you called your stoic tendencies or anything like this. Yeah, I think, I, I think obviously, like, yeah, you got the reference and that is what I wanted to call on. And, like, for me, I do feel like this album, I aired a lot more of my own kind of, like, 
longing and desperation in a way that I would never have before. Like it's more, way more vulnerable. And like, even that song, Adam Complex, like it was almost like ironic, I think for me to have written that lyric at the end of the song, because like that song ultimately is the most vulnerable song I've ever written. And like something that I'm still, it's hard for me to even say now that that's what the song is about, because it's like, that's a huge, deep insecurity and like something that I have to work through in therapy. And it's something that like, you know, a lot of lesbians and like queer people deal with, but like, it's a kind of an ugly emotion and like not one that I'm proud of and not one that I feel any strength in, you know? So like to kind of be that vulnerable and then at the end of the song be like, this is the reality. These, this is how my mind works. But at the end of the day, I'm still trying my hardest to not show anyone that, you know, there's kind of like a dissonance there but i think one that i'm that it's it exists in me so it's real totally yeah i mean speaking of irony like the first song in the first song on the album you're prostrating yourself you know in 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 front of somebody you know begging them to to take you in and of course the the album itself is called alpha which is this very loaded word today and especially in you know certain corners of the internet you know it's meant to be a complete endorsement of a certain type of strength so I thought that you titling the album this, especially with the music and the lyrics that go into it, was pretty interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some irony there. And like, I kind of had this like internal joke with myself before it came out where I was like, I can't wait for people to think that I'm talking about myself and that I'm referring to myself as an alpha because like I'm not. But I think it's just like it's going to be funny because it's like I'm kind of trolling people like maybe if they haven't listened to the music or they don't understand the level of like intimacy and vulnerability that there is on the record they might think like oh like what does she think she's like some like you know I don't know it's just like I I think it's like funny (laughs) a little bit (laughs) but at the same time it just is kind of a character that I do also play into and that whether I'm singing about this alter ego that I try to have in order to feel strong or whether I'm talking about an alpha who was someone that I was with or someone that I'm singing about, like, it's kind of like up to the listener's discretion, like what they take from it. But like, yeah, I think it's funny that some people might think that I'm like, I am alpha, because it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me a little bit about the actual writing process of your song with Sid, Take Care of You. Yeah, I had written like the guitar part and some of the melodies and like the chorus while I was up at my cottage, just alone, just kind of goofing around. And I came back to the city and was working out of like a shared studio for a couple months at the time. And there was a friend of mine, Myrna Bashuti, and she was there and I showed her it and I said, oh, do you think there's anything here? And she's like, you know, she's a great songwriter and producer herself. And she's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, what do you want this song to be about? And I was like, well, it's definitely an R&B song. And, you know, I love the straight up R&B and I would love to just make like a, just a lesbian R&B song. She was like, yeah, let's go. And we just kind of like, as a joke, 
wrote the most overtly lesbian song again like once again like using religious imagery to kind of just make fun of like the institutions that we're trying to like just poke fun at basically and it was a all a joke like I never intended on putting this song out until I like showed my managers and they're like wait this is kind of fire like you should actually put this out and then when they convinced me that it was worthy of seeing the light of day I knew I wanted to sit on the song she was like the perfect fit and then got kind of connected with her through a friend and she sent back a verse like immediately like she was super into it so uh, yeah it was kind of just like a really like fun song to make because it was just there was a lot of laughs and like it came together with ease are you a person who, when they create, they have certain benchmarks that they set for themselves? Um, because you take on so many different roles in the creation of your music. I, I think it's fair to say like almost all of the roles. So I would imagine that it must be intimidating to have any sort of benchmarks to be like, okay, I need to get this in order to do this so I can you know, feel like I've done this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it does come back to like the physiological responses. And, you know, at the end of the day, music is just a feeling. And I trust my intuition and I trust my ear and I trust my taste enough to know when something is good versus when something is bad. Because I also write a lot of really bad music. And like, <laughs> I don't know necessarily what my internal compass is saying when it's saying like don't do it don't do it don't put this out <laughs> but like there is just something that guides me and like I'm grateful to have something that feels like it tells me the truth you've spoken before about your aversion to certain aspects of the music industry of course alpha is released under your own record label stone woman music i'm wondering what brought you to that decision and um if your views on working within the music industry have changed at all, you know, since releasing Stone Woman? Since that time, like for me, just like my team um, shifted and I, I had been given some advice to stay independent early on in my career and I held on to that and it felt empowering. And, you know, I'm really glad that I did that and that I own all the music that I did and that I obviously still own the music that I make, but like, I've definitely seen the kind of financial return that that decision I made early on in my career. I've seen that return now, which is just that like I still have my steady income from like songs like work that it still gets synced all the time. And like, I'm just grateful that I own that music. And I think seeing the result of like that ownership years down the line and that passive income that I have because of that, it definitely like has taught me that it's a smart business move obviously like there are other ways to like find investment and find capital um, to promote and market an album once it's done but for me like because I do so much of it like I don't really need the support in the creation of an album like that's something that I can handle on my own and when it came to this album I knew that like I had certain goals and certain things that like I am a dreamer to some extent there are certain like things that I'm ambitious about that I want to achieve and when I express that to myself and I'm honest about those kinds of things with myself, the reality of like, okay, well, how do I get there? It becomes pretty daunting. And at the time, like right after I put out Stone Woman, I was working with a manager who I, you know, I told him what my goals were. And that was kind of like, either you sign a major label deal 
to be able to achieve achieve those goals or you kind of like adjust your expectations or your what your ambitions really are. I didn't like that answer and I was lucky enough to have certain people in my orbit in my community in my world that I had seen do the kinds of things that I wanted to do in an independent way and when I fired that manager and then I was looking for new management and like the ones that I wanted to work with they reached out to me and so I felt just really lucky that like the people who I saw who did it independently that I felt confident could do those things and that like they would be able to help me achieve my goals and like those benchmarks like they came into my life at the perfect time and now I'm just like yeah there's parts of the industry that are really icky and that I definitely stay away from and I think a huge part of that is just like being able to like rely and trust the team the your internal team like your management lawyer whatever it is like publicist agent like that core team um, creative direction like that core team has to be people that you really really trust so just to close things out you know we talked a little bit about growth creating the best work that we can and always striving for that who are some of your uh, dream collaborators that you think might help you achieve that goal I don't know if these are dream collaborators that would help me achieve goals, but the ones that just popped into my head, like immediately are the ones that I'm going to say, and they're very random, but like, I would love to work with Adrienne Lenker. I think she's like the most amazing songwriter of our generation. You know, Drake, huge part of my experience as like a Toronto creative is like, I feel like anyone who doesn't admit that they're influenced by Drake is actually just lying to themselves. And I'm not afraid to say (laughs) I love Drake and he's a huge inspiration of mine. Would love to work with him. And James Blake, who is someone who already kind of like sampled some of my music, but I would love to write music with him. All right. Well, Drake and Adrian Lanker, if you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> exactly. Charlotte Day Wilson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. That was Charlotte Day Wilson in conversation with the faders Jordan Darville. Wilson's debut album, Alpha, is out now via Stone Woman Music. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader Interview wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.